This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. We had 50 people just from the junior high school and our elementary. Selling dope. That's remarkable. This is James Pep Cooper. In the late 70s, he got into selling heroin with a young crew. Really young. We ain't got no high school buddies that started with us. It was elementary, junior high. You know what I'm saying? That's our core. This new business venture needed to attract customers. So they got creative. We gave out free giveaways. So now it's Dauphines all around. they all around downtown. And they nod. Other Dauphines coming up. Man, where you get that blow at, man? Man, them young boys down there on the corner got a motherfucker. Them young boys. And that's how we became Young Boys Incorporated. Dope Fiends named us. Young Boys Incorporated. As their customer base grew, so did their profits. The, 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 the gold chains... The, the, the Sassoon and Jordash jeans with the designer's gym shoes on. We were trendsetters. You know, we were hip-hop before hip-hop even started. The white people used to ride down the block just to get glimpses of us. they ride down with their windows rolled up, literally taking pictures out their window. The kids' faces pressed up against the window. At first, it all seemed glamorous. Even though you're 15 years old, you've grown. You're drinking Remy Martin and Heineken's all day. You got money flowing through your hands. But with big money came a darker side to drug dealing. As you get older, your thugnism gets worser. Each year, each day, each month, each week, you know what I'm saying? The more violent and vicious it's getting, you know, times change. It's a dog-eat-dog world. One, two, three, now! Last episode, we told you about the downfall of two old-school drug kingpins. Today on the show, Young Boys Incorporated disrupts the drug trade, moving it out of the dope houses and onto the street corners. Neighborhoods become battlegrounds, and families are torn apart. I'm Soraya Shockley. Welcome to Crime Town. He throws a bag on the table, just like that. I say, what's that, sugar, flour? He said, no, that's dope. Heroin was probably the main agent in the virtual destruction of the city. Drugs is hot enough in itself. See, murder draws attention. Before we get back to YBI, meet one of Detroit's best-known families, the Mongos. Can you t- uh, just tell us your name? 
uh, Larry Mongo. Where are we right now? We're here at Cafe de Mongo's. You met Larry briefly in the last episode. Today, he's showing us around his bar. And the decor is eclectic. It's what I call, it's not Art Deco or Art Nouveau. It's early attic or late basement design. (laughs) The walls are covered with memories. Photos from the good old days. You look really young. (laughs) Describe that picture. At the Muhammad Ali and Frazier fight, I got on a white mink coat, mink hat. My wife, white minks and everything. And you're sitting in a golden throne. Yes. Four years later, here I am with the vice president of the United States. My wife, and Coleman, Coleman Young in the back. The See? mayor, Coleman Young, and the vice president of the United States. <laughs> and that is Skip Mongo, Larry's youngest brother. Larry always tell people, my, my parents were so impressed with him that they had me. I always say, listen, they didn't stop until they got it right with me. (laughs) And then there's their oldest brother, Benji. This is a picture of Benji and Larry. Larry, how old were you, about 20? 20. Benji's probably about 22. 22. Benji has on a pair of suede pants, a pinky ring, and suede shirt. And Benji got a big fro. And back when they were young, Benji sold drugs. Benji was selling dope. His nickname was Boss Dog. He was an original. Larry hovered around the fringes of his brother's drug business, lending advice and always watching as Benji worked his territory. Before long, Larry says another dealer threatened Benji, demanding a cut of his take. So Benji went to talk to him. Benji, he has that smile and that silence. He said, okay, okay. So the guy had confidence that this little punk-ass young boy, I got him. So when the guy got in the car, thinking Benji gonna give him some money, Benji said, wait a minute, I got to run and get the money out. Guy said, okay. Benji disappeared into a nearby building. Benji came back with his vicious German shepherd. Open the door, put the dog in. See, my man went to fighting the dog, the dog went to chewing, the guy just went in the shop. Jaw chewed him up. And Benji threw him out the car. Now the whole neighborhood heard of this. Took the roughest guy in the neighborhood, didn't kill him. Just made a shell out of him. If you kill a guy, you silence him. But if you put fear in his his heart, he'll take the story and put fear in other people's hearts with your story. So it's more valuable to leave that person alive. While Benji was building his business, Larry started rubbing shoulders with some of Detroit's most powerful people. I used to hang in this barber shop, Jack's Barber Lounge. Can you paint a picture of Jack's? What, what was Jack's like back then? Upper middle class black barber shop. Yes. The only place we as blacks could come to, it was like our country club. A 
Everybody who was anybody would gather at Jack's Barber Lounge, which is how one day Larry found himself sitting next to the mayor of Detroit, Coleman Young. Can you tell us about Coleman? Oh, man. How did you first meet him? Excuse my language. Talking shit. (laughs) So when Coleman used to come in the barber shop, I was always talking history and stuff. Me and the mayor talking a lot of stuff. I'm arguing with people, just BSing. He used to just enjoy me. He, he really liked my brother Benji, too. He liked the both of us together. Occasionally, Benji would hang out at Jack's, too. One day, they took a picture of all us together. Then Benji got up and left because the guy wanted to take more pictures. Benji in the middle of getting his hair done. Benji got up and left. And the mayor said, what's wrong with your brother? I said, Yana, I said, my brother don't ever want to be around you when you here or any pictures. That's why he told us. He said, what's it? I said, my brother sell dope. I said, he do not ever want them to have a picture saying that you with a dope dealer if he got caught. Mayor Young looked at me. He said, tell Benji thank you. He said, thank you. Man, I went to private schools. I went to a school with 200 people in the school. This was an elite school. Skip was much younger than his brothers, and he had a very different upbringing. In the early 80s, he was going to a fancy private high school. I got straight A's in the school. I never made one friend at that school. I got straight A's. To me, they was all square. I couldn't wait to leave that school and come home to the neighborhood and get off into some mischief. Mischief is putting it lightly for what was going on in Skip's neighborhood. When you talk about the genesis of the young boys, how it started, Dwayne Davis, who was known better as WW, they called him Wonderful Wayne. And let me explain Wayne. He's, this guy was just ultra smooth. Wonderful Wayne was one of the founders of Young Boys Incorporated. After school, Skip would hang out on his block and wait for Wayne to drive by. He has three Mercedes Benzes. He had a Porsche 928S. Seven years before the movie Scarface came out. And I'm a young kid, very impressionable. And for some reason, he just took a liking to me. Wayne, he would ride up on me and he would say, listen, where, what, what you doing? Where you going? Nothing, walking around. He said, come on, ride with me. Man, this was like riding with Michael Jackson, seriously. Now, my, my hanging with him gave me a certain status in the streets. Because what are they, the Young Boys Incorporated? What am I, a young boy? And I'm riding with the boss every day. And it so happened that Skip's older brother, Benji, was Wayne's supplier. And he soon found out that Skip was hanging around Wayne. He hated to see me with Wayne. He would blow a gasket when he see me riding with him. And I remember him looking at me, shaking his head. He said, listen, you're going to end up going to the, one of their funerals or they're going to end up coming to your funeral. And he told me, this ain't for you. But if you want to be in the streets, leave me, stay away from me. Don't ever come and get me for anything or so on and so forth, all of that. So maybe this was the, maybe this might have been February of 82. 
April 82, he ended up getting killed. I was with Benji that Sunday, and he was driving me all around. Again, Larry Mongo. And he started talking about life, about the drugs and everything, and kind of remorseful, which scared me a little bit. He said, you know, I'm going to give you some money. He said, because I want to get out of this. He said, you know, I just, I just want to get out of it. When I was getting out the car, he grabbed me. And he said something to me he'd never said in his life that I could recall. He grabbed me and said, Larry, I said, what? He said, man, I love you. And that shocked me. You know, you know, I probably said, like, yeah, okay, me too. You know, but to say I love you, I said to my wife, my brother going to die. The next evening, Skip was home when one of Benji's friends came to the door. It's night. I just went in the house. It was a school day the next day. I got ready to take a shower. I look out the top window, the bathroom window. I see this girl, and she had on Benji's shirt that he had on earlier that day. And she had it wrapped like this. And she looked up, and she said, aren't you Benji's brother? I said, yeah. She said... He just got into a fight. And I think he's hurt, because I heard a gunshot. And I'm like, damn. I ran and woke up my mother and father. I jumped in a car. I shot down to his house. The house pitch black. The patio door is open about this much. And he had these green velvet drapes. And I remember the drapes were blowing. And I was calling his name and no answer. So I'm scared to walk in. I'm like, he in here waiting on somebody and he going to shoot the first person walk through this door. I'm hollering his name some more. No answer. I walked in. He's laying across the couch, shot in the head. Now, this is the part that was worse than him getting killed. About 10 minutes later, my parents pulled up and Benji was a real sickly kid when he was born. He stayed in the hospital first four months of his life. And this was the saddest thing in the world to me. My mother walked in the back and she said, I fought so hard for him to live, and he ended up killing himself. Now, that was the day that my childhood was ripped out of me. And I remember learning that day that it, it was a, like a pain so deep that it can't even come out like this. Because I saw my, my mother. And I never seen her laugh the same, smile the same, none of that. This is what's odd, man. I pray nobody ever has to feel this way. But guy like that, man, it hurt. But you know what else? The emotion, it was embarrassing. 
It was like, nah, yeah, y'all thought he was something. And so that embarrassment is probably what drove me to the streets too. I say, you know what? I'm going to prove my, I'm going to show y'all I'm, I, I can do this without him. Shortly after Benji's death, Wonderful Wayne was also shot and killed. Benji get killed. Wayne got killed right after that. So my whole life looked like it's crumbling around me. What do I do? I go out and start selling dope. I get with the guys who running the entire drug operation for the city of Detroit. That was my life. YBI to the day I die. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. See, it was, a, it was an article came out in the newspaper that said there are young boys on the wet, on Detroit's west side making more, more money, money than their parents yeah. in the automobile factory selling designer dope. By the early 80s, Young Boys Incorporated was competing for customers in Detroit's booming drug trade. Skip Mongo still remembers how YBI set themselves apart. I remember this article. It said these young kids have started stamping their drugs like Calvin Klein brands yeah, his blue jeans. Yeah. The guy sitting next to Skip is Pep Cooper from the very top of the show. Do you remember some of the names of the dope? Yeah, Gucci Khan, Murder One, Rolls Royce, uh, Rowan Twenties, um, Uno, Cloud Nine, um, Skaggs, Mac, Crazy Ace Mac, Freak of the Week. Um, thing. But branding wasn't their only innovation. See, our dope joints, it was easy to get caught in the dope joints. There's only, only two ways out. The front door and the back door. And if they hit both of them, you hit. You see what I'm saying? We're going to do it on from the hip now. When they say from the hip, we're doing it from outside. You know what I'm saying? And that's when we went outside. Skip was put in charge of his own corner. Cars would ride up. One guy would run over to the car, and you say, how many? The customer, the drug addict, might put his fingers up, and that's two. I'm putting up two fingers. And you would turn around, and you holler. You say, two times. This guy would run the pack to the customer, and then you take the money, and you give it to the spot boss. He stay on top of the money. I'm the lieutenant. The spot boss worked for me. The runners work for him. The kids work in teams, one collecting the money, another delivering the dope, others acting as lookouts, and all are decoys for one another. And when a lookout throws a signal, a busy street can become deserted in a matter of seconds. That way, a cruising police officer sees nothing. 
Would the cops ever come by? All the time. We had people on corners. So he's called the police, the hook. And then, so guys be on the corner and, they, and they're hollering, off the hook, the hook. And then that spot, man, everybody run. We, do, we did an early morning surveillance. Uh, we set up and it was just like these kids were going to work at a legitimate job. This is Delbert Jennings, a Detroit police officer who worked narcotics. They begin to show up. Uh, about 8.30, the party store opened on the corner, and they all went in, got a pop and a, and a honey bun, and they came out and they drank the pop and ate that honey bun, and they were ready for work. At 9 o'clock, the bag arrived with the narcotics, and they went, these kids went to work. It was really something to see them come together. People just start showing up, and, and I mean, it was just traffic up and down the street like you had never seen before. They will turn these quiet neighborhoods into a circus. I went up to a young guy one day, and the way that I'm talking right now, I spoke to him. Ike McKinnon was an inspector for the Detroit Police Department's gang squad. He saw firsthand what YBI was doing to the city when he stopped a 12-year-old on the sidewalk. I said, young fellow, I said, you can't do that. Fuck you, motherfucker. That's what the guy said to me. Excuse me? I said, look, man, you can't. Oh, you proper talking motherfucker. He said, I will kick your ass. And I said, what did you say? I said, no, no. You little motherfucker, I'm going to kick your ass, you know? And he looked at me. You can't say that to me. I said, motherfucker, I will kick your ass right now. Who are you going to complain to? And Officer Delbert Jennings started to see how using kids to sell dope gave YBI a big advantage. The, the youngest one that we caught uh, was 11 years old. Once we took him in, um, at that time, juvenile didn't take the kids in for nonviolent offenses. So we, we had to let him go. Arrest 16 people all at one time over in the Jeffries Projects. 15 minutes after we take them downtown, there's another 25 or 30 runners out there dealing dope. That doesn't sound like we're winning to me. YBI continued to expand with a series of hostile takeovers. Pep Cooper sees territory corner by corner. When we first came up, we used to call jumping on guys wreck. Like recreation. Wreck. As things got more violent and intense, became the wrecking crew. Don't nobody bring no bag in our neighborhood, 10th Precinct. We go to yours. Don't come tell us we can't roll. You know what I'm saying? Now that's a no-no. Nah, if you come with that, there's gonna be gunplay over here. You ain't gonna see me. I'm gonna be back over the next morning with the bag. But that night, or later on that evening, oh, there's some people coming to see you, coming to holler at you. Now you got the killers coming at you. We, we own their neighborhoods. We is in there deep. East side, west side, north end, northwest, southwest, Brewsters, Little Jeffries, Big Jeffries. I mean, we were so deep and our crew just grew, you know, extended YBI. Young Boys Incorporated, what they were doing is they were expanding. 
they would take block by block. Again, Inspector Ike McKinnon. Everybody in the city recognized the fact that we had a serious problem with these guys. And that's when Coleman Young issued this edict. I want to tell you now, I'm not going to let any group of young hoodlums or old hoodlums, black thugs or white thugs, take this goddamn city over. He said, the biggest, baddest, toughest gang in Detroit, police department. So I want you to kick their asses. Mayor, you know, what about complaints? Ain't no goddamn complaints. <laughs> if somebody comes and make a goddamn complaint, I'll take care of it. Seven o'clock on a warm evening in March, and you are riding in a caravan of unmarked police cars about to raid what they call a major distribution outlet of heroin in the Brewster Housing Project. The place, police say, is a suspected dope house in the Young Boys Incorporated network. The assault on the apartment comes fast. In this news footage, a SWAT team swarms into the Brewster housing project. They break down an apartment door and throw the residents up against a wall. Ain't nothing for you to see in here, you understand? You just keep your head right there. Don't look around and talk. In the city's war against YBI, Pep Cooper found himself in the middle of a drug sweep. What happened? Well, Dauphine rolled down the street, one at four. I jumped on the moped, they pulled on the corner of Cortland and Broad Street. I go to serve them. They part right here, I didn't put up on the side of them on the moped. The police was in the alley. Dauphine seen them in their mirror before I seen them, because I can't see, they see them when they pull out the alley, they take off on me. Well, I wonder why they take off, I turn around and see the police. I'm, you know, I'm on a moped, man. They can't outrun a car. I'm trying to get away, you know what I'm saying? I hit the corner. They gaining on me, so I went up in the yard. Hit the yard, dropped the bike, hit the fence, and I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? Now they radio. They have police everywhere looking for me. I see them, they coming up Martindale, they everywhere, you know what I'm saying? So I can't get away. I come out, I see them coming out of Stego, so I just took off the jacket I had on because it's fall. I took off a little windbreak I had, threw it in the uh, trash, and came out walking. But now they come up the alley. The car come up the alley. They grabbed me. He said, what, what, was you running? I'm like, no, he feel my heart. My heart racing. Do, 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 do. He said, yeah, you was running. You the one we looking for. So they started beating the shit out of me, you know what I'm saying? They ride me down Martindale, let everybody see they got me, take me to the 10th Precinct. Somebody brought some information to me. He said, man, you know, your baby brother is throwing down now. Word got back to Larry Mongo that his younger brother Skip was in deep with YBI. I said, Skip, and a cop told me. He said, yeah. He said, you know, we got him on the radar. He's slanging. So I guess he was getting off the school bus. So I went in front of all his friends and jumped on him. I just said, uh, man, he's selling dope. Uh, I said, man, don't you know we just lost Benji? You know, I told him, God, don't you ever be in this world? Why you want to be in the dope business? Uh, I said, man, no, my, my, and he tried to mouth off because his buddy was there. So I just jumped on him. 
you know, I rushed him right quick, grabbed him, and poop, poop. I knew he never got whoopings as a kid, really. So, you know, if you're going to be in these streets, you better start getting ready to fight right now and ready to die, maybe. My brother Larry came over to the house when he found out, jumped on me, beat me up. And I'm still like, man, y'all not stopping me. But Skip did start taking a harder look at the life he had chosen for himself. We always would have a house where we would keep what we call the big stash. Because you don't want the police to ride up and get the stash. And man, we would pay somebody and we had Dave. He was a drug addict. Dave and his wife, man. And I remember they were poor. Because I remember, man, I leaned on the wall one time and I burnt my hand. And I'm like, why is this wall so hot? Because they were still in heat, so it wasn't controlled. And man, I remember his kids, he had daughters. They used to come home from school. We sitting around the house, and we wasn't disrespectful or nothing, but you think they want to come home to that? Not only is it a stranger in your house, so it's not comfortable in your house, but it's a reminder every day of what my parents are. So I feel bad about that. Them girls wasn't too much younger than me. I feel horrible about that. One day, I laid in the bed and I looked up and I said, why do I want to continue to sell dope? This is what I'm thinking. And I'm thinking and I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'm like, it's, what is this? I said, it's a strong force that's taking me to the East. And I kept saying, it's temptation. This temptation is a monster. And I started saying this prayer. And I just used to say, God, please take the temptation away from me. And this went on for about a week. And one day I just said, I'm done. I quit. I'm th- I didn't have a plan. I had a little money saved up. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. I started hanging out with my brother Larry. Larry owned a chain, the most successful chain of black beauty salons that Detroit has ever seen. What were they called? The Mongols. This is what got me out the streets. I was riding with Larry one day. We went to his accountant's office. I never, re- I never forget this figure. Man said, "This is what you grossed this year: seven hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars off hair." That's a new drug. <laughs> listen, he always say, "Listen, I was pushing hair, and my brother Benji was pushing hair on." <laughs> that, that was it, man. It was. After his older brother Benji was killed, and while his younger brother Skip was slinging dope for YBI. Larry built a successful salon business. Black hair care then was really wild. 99% of it was ghetto. I said, there's a black middle class, it's a market for this. Professional black stylists. Larry Mongo had learned a thing or two from the streets himself. In those days, people could just hang in a barbershop. I ran it just like a dope house. And the dope house, if you ain't buying dope, you don't come in here. Why are you here? So my all my shops was known, if you're not spending money, you don't come here. Once Skip came under my wing, he started seeing what real power was. I remember I was riding with Larry one time and we pull up in front of one of his shops. He double parked, police came up, 
told him, man, you got to move. He said, okay, wait a minute. I'll be, police jumped out, cursed the mic, started cursing the police. They put him in handcuffs, drove off. I'm sitting there like, damn, now how, what am I going to do? So I'm stuck here. Five minutes later, man, the police car pulled up. He was in the front seat. I'm like, damn. How, how did he have the, the political influence. They found out who he was, man. What we was kind, like, what kind of political influence? We were like yeah. this with Comey Young. Comey Young was the king of this city. Even though he was now a successful businessman, Larry hadn't totally left the streets behind. And all that time he spent at Jack's Barber Lounge, well, it paid off. Where did you get your power from? From Comey Young, Mayor Young. And what were you doing at the time? What was I doing? Yeah. Uh, connection to the underworld. You've heard me many times before. Next time on Crime Town, Coleman Young's connection to the underworld. The people that I knew best were hustlers. Uh, these guys who ran the crap game, you know, uh, who were cutting the blackjack game on all gamblers. You know, I've never been accused of being immoral, but um, I, I never been accused of being too moral either. I won't be a Crimetown is Mark Smerling and Zach Stewart Pontier. This season is made in partnership with Gimlet Media and Spotify. It's produced by Rob Zipko, John White, Samantha Lee, and me, Soraya Shockley. The senior producer is Drew Nellis. Editing by Zach Stewart Pontier and Mark Smerling. Fact checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Sam Baer. Additional sound design by Kenny Kusiak. And by the way, Congrats on the wedding, Kenny. Original music this season composed by Homer Steinweiss. We recorded some original music at Rust Belt Studios in Detroit in partnership with Detroit Sound Conservancy. Special thanks to Carlton Goles and Maurice Piranahead Heard. Additional music by John Kusiak, Kenny Kusiak, and John Ivans. And additional mixing by Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Politicians in My Eyes by Death. Our credit music this week is I Won't Be Your Fool by Detroit Soul Ambassador Melvin Davis. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Archival footage courtesy of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Show art and design by James Cabrera and Elise Harvin. We've got a great website with bonus content for each episode, like photos, videos, and newspaper clippings, as well as a full list of credits and a transcript. Check it out at crimetownshow.com. To learn more about YBI, check out the book Bound by Honor, Torn by Greed, the true and untold story of Young Boys Incorporated, by Pep Cooper, Pix M, and India Williams. Thanks to the Detroit Free Press, Peter Batia, Jim Schaefer, Mary Schrader, Mary Wallace, the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University, Melissa Sampson, the Detroit Historical Society, Chuck Lindsay, Michael Squirewell, Bill Dwyer, Otis Culpepper, Al Kirshner, Vince Wade, Scott Bernstein, Mark Benelli, Charlie LaDuff, and everyone who shared their stories with us. 
Detroit is an amazing place, and we're honored to tell a small part of its story. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. The other day, he told me his first rule about storytelling. If you kill a guy, you silence him. But if you put fear in his heart, he'll take that story and put fear in other people's hearts with your story. This was Larry's house. You see the paint, how it's painted in the background, that color? Well, that's carpet on the walls, man. Larry had the people come in and tell them he wanted wall-to-wall carpet. And up the walls. And up the walls. And they put carpet on the walls. That's carpet, man. And Benji's came over just fell out laughing. Then guess what? Everybody in the neighborhood, every drug dealer in the neighborhood stopped putting carpet, carpet up the wall, the wall. man. <laughs> Excuse my language. They probably said to themselves, man, young nigga, everybody coming in here. So start selling. Tell people we're going to do wall-to-wall carpeting up the wall. 